Hello and welcome. Today's interview is with Barbara Cochran. Barbara was ordained in 1991 and has been pastoring at West Brooklyn Baptist Church for around 30 years. Barbara describes the difficulties she faced at the beginning of her journey into ministry, her experience pastoring through the COVID-19 pandemic, and the ways she's been able to uniquely serve her community. I'm Barbara Cochran. My dad was a Baptist pastor. I guess you can say I'm one of those that grew up in the church. In the late 70s and early 80s, women didn't even take a whole lot of leadership in the church in a rural community. I don't recall being in a church with my dad growing up where there was a woman as on the deacon's board or anything like that. And I wish I could remember the woman's name. Pretty sure her first name was Kim, and she had gone through Divinity College. She took her Master's of Religious Education And she was working at the summer camp where I was a counselor, Long Lake Baptist Youth Camp. And just watching her, listening to her, made me, for the first time, wonder if I could be a woman in ministry. The first time that I, other than missionaries, it's the first time that I had encountered a woman in ministry. I connected with my fellow counselors and really got into leading my my um, campers it was a really great experience as a matter of fact i went back the next year as well and uh, went back to that camp as director one summer as well i took my bachelor of arts at dalhousie and then i went from there to acadia divinity college when i graduated from dow I had sent out many applications to various Atlantic universities, hoping to go on to take my Bachelor of Education. I applied to four different universities. All four of them turned me down for a different reason, except for Acadia, who claimed they lost my application. And that made me think, obviously, that God was closing a door. And so then I was kind of at a loss as to what to do. And I then decided to take a job in the city that I saw advertised. And on the day that I was, dad was going to drive me into the city for an interview. He said, if you don't mind, we will go through the valley because I need to stop at Acadia for for something. And before we get on the road, he called me into his study and he said, "Um, Barb, the semester has started, but If I made some inquiries, would you be interested in studying at the Divinity College? And we prayed about it. And I said, you know, Dad, I guess if there's an opening, then maybe that's God opening the window after closing the door. So he went down to the the Divinity College and he came back out to the car and he said, uh, they'd like to meet with you. So Dr. Oliver Osberg was the director of admissions at the time, and I sat down and had uh, an interview with him. We talked about all kinds of things, and then he said, uh, are you prepared to stay? And I said, well, I was on my way to the city for a job interview, and so I am packed ready to stay there, so I guess. And he said, we have three vacancies for students. We would welcome you. I started at Acadia in September of 1983 and entered the MRE program. Before the end of my um, first year, I had transferred to the integrated program. 
so that at the end of four years, I had both my MRE and my MDiv. I felt two years was too little for me to prepare to take on a leadership role in a church. I, I even um, actually explored mission work. I remember uh, back when I was like in grade five or something, I said I wanted to be a medical missionary. And so I felt maybe that was something worth exploring. My mentor while I was there was Hedley Hawkins. We chatted about it in one of our sessions and he said, I don't understand why you would consider doing something somewhere else that you're not ready to do here. That made me step back a little bit and think about it. I did feel supported by the faculty. There were often comments made by male students whenever we were around. One of the big things at the time was was ping pong, and I was pretty good. And I walked in after class one day in time to hear a comment They might be going to take over our pulpits, but they're not going to take over our ping pong table. (laughs) I guess at that point, I felt I was definitely headed toward pastoral ministry. I joined, they had um, gospel teams that went out to various churches and, and ministered. And my father was pastoring in Caledonia, Queens County. And he had requested that my gospel team come to them. I was scheduled to do the main portion of the service in the Caledonia church, which is where I held my membership and so on. And my dad, during that service, as he was introducing the team, confessed to me and to his congregation what he had gone through as I was studying for ministry. And he had been very encouraging, but never once did he show me or tell me that he was struggling with, is this a good or a right thing for women to be in ministry? He stood up there in the pulpit that night and he said, you know, I had five children, two sons, and I had harbored secret hopes that one of my children would follow me in ministry, but I anticipated it being either Bruce or Carl. I have struggled a little bit inwardly and I have studied and prayed and he said I'm standing here to tell you all how I have endorsed her journey and how proud I am that she has followed me it was difficult to secure a place the offerings were not forthcoming I had one possible interview before I graduated, but only one, the Divinity College. I don't know whether they felt sorry for me, but they did hire me to do some work with them for a few months. Spring of the following year after graduation, I got a chance to go to Brookfield Stuyak just outside Truro for a three-month intern. That was an excellent, excellent experience. And the people actually came to me as my time was up because their new pastor was coming and said, is there any way that we can change this situation we're in and keep you? (laughs) But that was three months and then nothing, nothing came until fall. I was at um, Hayward Lectures in the fall and one of my uh, professors said to me, you know, Barb, I don't want to dissuade you or discourage you. You've been waiting for this. But you have heard us say that sometimes there are students who graduate that really don't deserve a church. 
But the opposite is also true. There are churches out there who do not deserve a pastor. But uh, anyway, I, I had an interview with the um, Cambridge Baptist pastorate was the name. If I got 75% positive vote, it would be the same as 100% for men. I got 75%, so I went. I went there in January of 1989, but it didn't last long. It was not a, not a good experience. Me being young and naive and inexperienced and sharing the associate role with another female, the senior pastor had just taken on the role of senior pastor from associate. As a matter of fact, the former senior pastor was the one that was going to Brookfield and Stuyak that I was interning for. So we traded houses, literally. I went into the whole thing like wide-eyed and anxious to try things and, you know, put all this good learning I had had into practice, only to discover that rural Nova Scotia wasn't ready for that. <laughs> At 25% that you don't get, is it's it's a big barrier. <laughs> it's a big barrier. I, one, of, one of my closest friends, though, she actually confessed after we got close that if they hadn't been vacationing in Florida when the field voted, that um, she would have voted against me just on the basis of my gender. Some days after that, I wondered if might not have been better if she had been able to vote. It just didn't seem like... With some people, I could do or say anything right. The deacons board was made up of four deacons from every church, 16 deacons, and I think two of them were women. It was intimidating to walk into that room, and I felt quaky inside, like, like I literally shook. It was not an experience I ever wanted to have again. I always looked younger than I was, which didn't help any. My dad always told me that that would be to my benefit later in life. I can remember uh, visiting an elderly lady in a nursing home. <laughs> I remember her saying before I left, so your dad's pretty busy today, is he? I said, my dad? <laughs> she thought I was the minister's daughter. So she thought I was visiting her on his behalf. And I'd often get comments from people who I'd visit. They didn't understand I would be the pastor either. I must be the minister's wife. So there was certainly confusion as to the role. It wasn't a role for women. I was mistaken. <laughs> I left a little um, disgruntled and a little disheartened with ministry and was out of it for probably a year and a half or more. Had a, struggled even to attend church. It had that much of an effect on me. At that point, Hedley Hopkins had moved to Port Williams, and he became my mentor for ordination as well. So I met with him weekly, and we discussed, started off discussing my path to ministry and my approach, sermon topics, all that sort of practical kinds of things. Once I kind of got my feet wet in the pastor, got to know people, got to know some of the nuances in each church because they were all very, very different. Then we discussed um, specific situations where I had questions, you know, like how to handle this relationship, or I would tell him about something that happened and 
how can you tell me how I could have handled the situation differently or better or whatever? And it was a good time with him. Dr. Andrew McRae was the uh, principal of Divinity College at the time. He was also the um, chief examiner when you went before the examining council. He was away the year I went. So they brought in the president of, um, I guess it was ABU at the time. Andrew could ask questions if things didn't seem to be going quite right or whatever. He could feel the room and he could ask questions leaning toward our strengths to present the better part of ourselves. So it, it was it was a difficult year to go. <laughs> and two, two women were presented that year and of all of the candidates, two failed. They were both women. With my experience at Waterville, and then to go before the ordination council and not make it, it uh, wasn't a good start to ministry for me. I had to go through another year of um, mentorship, but, you know, Headley agreed to carry on. He, <laughs> we spent some time kind of calming him down. <laughs> and, you know, you, you, when you get calls from officials that the first thing they say to you when, when you answer the phone is, it had nothing to do with the fact that you're a woman. That told me it had everything to do with the fact that I was a woman. <laughs> I had my dad do my ordination service. It was a beautiful service. Three of my siblings did special music that night. And I can remember looking down in the congregation and seeing my family, people I had known from various walks of life, Members of all four of the churches that night, I felt very affirmed, very happy, very thankful that I had pursued the hard journey I had been on. Eventually, I settled into the church I'm in, and I've been there for 29 years, West Brooklyn Baptist. There have been many, many, many ups and downs. There have been many times when I have thought, this is it, God, I'm moving on. This, you know, something would happen, and he'd you know, it would be just like a slap in the face. Barb, we're not finished here yet. <laughs> We've been as many as 40 in the congregation. Um, when I went there, there were less than 20. Built it up, lost them. Built it up, lost them. Like it's just been up and down. I have less than 10 who come on a regular basis now. And they're all women. And they're all 50 and above. But I'll tell you, there isn't anything they won't tackle. And I, I think that it comes from such a long-term relationship. We're closer than family. We've been through the ups and downs together. The majority of those in the congregation right now, I baptized. Um, we endured a very, very nasty split 20 years ago because we tried to indicate that the church was not a place that they could own. God was the head of the church. And that our place there was as he bid, and it had nothing to do with their church. We had to bring in the peacemakers. Roger Can was in charge. It was, it was devastating. I had a meeting with Malcolm Beckett. He said to me at one point in that meeting, so honestly, Barb, do you see any hope for your church? And I said, Malcolm, there are people living in that community who do not attend a church of any kind. 
as long as they are there, there is hope for that church. And um, through the pandemic, these people, they, it's a very rural community and they don't have Wi-Fi. I could not connect with them virtually. So I did it the old fashioned way. And I set up time periods that they were each slotted into a particular time on a Sunday when I would call them. And we would have a little devotional service of some sort over the phone every week. I actually gained a parishioner by doing that because she couldn't connect with her church online. So I was able to hear in the tone of their voice how they were doing. So I was able to pray with them effectively, I think. And then we did lose one member to the pandemic. It took us down one person and enabled me to actually then do a conference call. And so the Sunday after she died, I was able to link them up so that we were all on the same call. And it meant everything to them to hear one another. And our giving continued. And so financially, we've never been better. So I, I just feel that with all of this going for us, that despite our numbers or our age or our gender, that God has something that he wants that church to do. I believe, not, not as a pastor, but as a Christian first, that I need to be involved in the community and in, in various aspects of the community. We need to, to need God's presence into all aspects of, of society. And so, you know, I would join a women's softball team or for a little bit, I was a part of Valley Search and Rescue and, you know, this kind of thing. And people often had shocked looks on their faces when they discovered my career path. Currently, I'm bivocational, and I work as an educational assistant. It sometimes takes new staff by surprise <laughs> when they find out they have a pastor in their midst. In the community that I'm in, I've been there so long now that you know, everybody just kind of takes me for granted. <laughs> I'm not sure we'll ever reach a point where women will be as accepted behind the pulpit as men, because... Um, listening and sharing with some women this summer uh, at Oasis, you know, all of us having gone through at various times, situation was pretty much the same for, for each one of us. No woman has had, that I'm aware of, that I've spoken to, has had a, an easy time of it. Sharon Budd graduated a couple of years before me and spent her entire career at Melbourne Square and I can remember her grumbling that a potluck supper was coming up or something. And one of the women asked her to bring a casserole. And she said, I wasn't offended that they asked me to bring a casserole. I was offended that they expected it because I was a woman. And so she said, I, I just said, if I was standing here in front of you today as a single male, would you have asked, asked the same thing of me? I have encountered to a certain extent that sort of thing too. But um, as far as the casserole thing goes, you know, I'm quite good with contributing to big sales and that kind of thing. So <laughs> I think to a certain extent, being a woman has helped with some situations. Never having served as a male, I, I can't compare. Women tend to be viewed as the gentler sex, able to show compassion and that kind of thing. And so... I think 
in that regard, I've had a lot of joy being able to share with people. I have been told on many occasions and by many different people that I have a gift for doing funerals. And as morbid as that sounds, I realize that that is a very difficult moment in people's lives. And so if I can share positively in those moments, then that that's a very special way that God has gifted me. It would be great if people at large would be able to open their eyes and their hearts to the character and the gifts of women equal to men. I'm sure there are as many women as men, but that women tend to hold back because of barriers. The road was a little bumpy at the beginning, to the point, like I say, I, 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 I was very discouraged and, and lost my heart for ministry for a while, um, for the Christian church for a while. I would have missed out on so much had uh, I allowed myself to give up. So I'm, I'm here by the grace of God and by his power and strength. Very grateful for all those who helped me along the road. Thank you to Barbara for sharing your story with this project. If you are enjoying Called to Serve, please take a moment to rate and review our podcast and share the episode with others. You can follow Called to Serve on Facebook and Instagram and learn more about the project at calledtoserve.ca.